Well, hello and welcome to the IBCD Karen Discipleship Podcast. We're on site at the Summer Institute here at Mission Hills Church in San Marcos. And I'm sitting down for something that um, I think many of us wish we could do. I get to sit and talk with two of the directors of um, IBCD, George Scipioni, the founding director, and I guess former director now, and then Jim, the current executive director of IBCD. So I wanted to chat with you guys, get a little history, and uh, hear how you're both doing. You both have purple in your shirts today, too, and blue jackets. Like, this is just... There you go. Man. Got the memo. <laughs> That's great. So, George, thanks for being with us. Jim, thanks for being with us. Well, you're sure. welcome. So we were talking a little bit before we started, and this is at least the 35th conference, possibly 36th conference that CCEF West slash IBCD has put on uh, during the summer. And uh, so that's that's a lot of conferences, a lot of memories. I was wondering if you guys had any memories from those conferences you could share with us as you think back. Well, since I'm old and my memories are fading, we'll start with Jim, right? <laughs> See, I remember the way I got involved was as a young pastor in the area, after I finished seminary, especially being able to come to these conferences like the All-Star Game of Biblical Counseling of that generation, they brought everybody in. You know, G. Adams was there, Wayne Mack was there, they had you know, Bill Good, Steve Byers, uh, Ed Welsh, just whoever was out there, David Pallas, and they were all here simultaneously. Not like you try to get one guy of that caliber as your headliner, but they had everybody. Yeah. And it was just like being in this amazing buffet of biblical counseling where they had the lobster and the prime rib and no Brussels sprouts. And uh, it was amazing to be exposed to all these guys and uh, some of the women as well, like Martha Peace, uh, pretty early on. So I just was amazed. I never, I never imagined I'd ever be asked to do a workshop, much less help to run the thing. But it was just an amazing experience to be there at that stage of the movement with these many of these men who are just the the patriarchs of biblical counseling. How about you, George? God was kind. I got saved in seminary, and uh, Jay Adams was a, a big part of that. Um, Basically, the reality was everyone else left and went to Labrie and everywhere else. And that's I only I was left and ended up getting hired at CCF. You know, they were counseling out of the little OP church building in Hatboro where I was with Jay. And so uh, <clears throat> I go way back to sitting on the steps at ten at night, going, "What did I get myself into? I well, I don't know what to say. What, what am I going to do? What do I go? I mean, it was kind of a living lab. It was." You know, uh, I tell people it was uh, when I got involved, competent to counsel was in mimeograph form. You could get high smelling, you know, the mimeograph, you know, purple print, you know, people, uh, some of you people listening will have to look that up historically right, right. what it is, you know, before <laughs> cell phones and everything else. And uh, just to be involved in it, I didn't know how special it was uh, other than we were on the cutting edge of something really, uh, really significant. I, I put it on the uh, the heart of the infallibility and errancy controversy, you know, the battle for the Bible. And this was just the expression of, hey, if this is the word of God, it's got to be sufficient for what God said it's uh, supposed to do. And uh, the rest was history. And they'd asked me to come out here and start CCF West and kind of out of an obligation in the sense of, and John Bettler at that time was my, was my pastor, had been my pastor. And when they asked me, I thought, well, okay. 
So after eight years uh, in the pastorate in rural New Jersey, I decided to come out and start CCF West. Were you able? Were you the one picking all the speakers at those conferences no, and stuff? No, or? no, I was. I was an afterthought. We got <laughs> we got whatever uh, the East Coast had. They would have something out there, and then they just repeat it out here. Yeah. You know, I would suggest things and they'd say, "Get R.C. Sproul." You know, he won't fly, so we can't get him on a train and get him out here fast enough to get him out here. So, um, and we, we interesting things. Even at that time, uh, they tried to work with Larry Crabb when Larry Crabb published. You know, say, "Hey." Twice we gave him the topics of the use of the Bible in, in counseling. And what he came out every time was what he had written, you know, and really didn't do. And I think that's when CCF uh, was no longer enamored with him and said, well, we tried, but I don't think we can, can work with him. And that was the mid-70s. But we had him two, two summers in a row. So when you talk about some not-so-central figures in in biblical counseling, they had him. They had Ray Stedman uh, for one conference because of the book Body Life, you know. And of course, it was always interesting to have a speaker come in who really didn't understand what biblical counseling was, and they'd start talking, and you go, "Oops, <laughs> hasn't read the script." <laughs> so it was it was kind of interesting to see uh, at that time. It's kind of typical. You want a name, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. maybe not a good-looking face, but you want a name because that draws people in. And, and they were trying to, you know, connect with people and, and really reach out. Uh, so um, they never were as narrow as people really thought that they were. So. And I know also for a while you had medical conferences, right? We had two. We had two that were very, very interesting. We ran those in February away from the summer conference. And uh, Adams and Ed Payne and, uh, and other guys. Had guys Harold O.J. Brown, didn't he come? No, I don't know if he came. Yeah, I think he might have come one year. And there was one other guy, I can forget his name, but they started the Journal of Biblical Ethics and, and Medicine, which is now defunct, but it's up online. You can see all those articles. Because from day one, we've always, you know, contrary to what people say, it's not all sin, sin, sin. And we've got a body that can get messed up. And we were trying to always bridge that gap with uh, Bob Smith, and we've got you know, Charles Hodges now is the second generation of the doctors, but Bob Smith, et cetera. So we've always tried to work uh, hand in glove with, uh, with physicians. So. You both have served in churches, and you're both now currently serving in seminaries. And so um, why are those two institutions key parts of biblical counseling? Well... Obviously, the church is the church. It's the yeah. body of Christ. It's the one who's been given the task to go make disciples. So that's a no-brainer. <clears throat> of course, oh, I don't know how you have it here, still on the West Coast, but we still have a hard time convincing pastors they're supposed to disciple their own people. Oh, we'll go into the professional kind of idea. Um, so it's, it's, it's obvious that the church has to be doing that. Um, the seminary... Um, you know, it's, it's the way we do things. You know, the old days when everyone was smaller, fewer people, you would move from pastor's house to pastor's house to learn your Greek or whatever, which I think is a probably a better discipleship model. So, uh, you know, seminaries are what they are. I'm comfortable where I am because it is a denominational seminary. So you have your pluses and minuses. That seminary is controlled by the church, which is the way I think it ought to be. You know, so seminary often becomes the dog that wags the tail of the church. And the sad 
all puns intended, other tail is, <clears throat> the dog becomes liberal, you know, and you end up getting poor pastors in the pastorate that really ruins the church. Um, so seminaries that are independent, <clears throat> as good as they are, uh, they go through generational changes and they lose their original vision. The church can do that too, but but God has always guaranteed that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. I'm not sure he's ever promised that for a seminary. So, And for me, my great love is the local church. And I thought George was very wise when he put IBCD under the local church as the ideal way for training to take place. But like George said, the reality is future pastors are going to seminary for the most part, future missionaries. And even though I loved our church and I loved the ministry in the church, the opportunity to have an influence on a generation of pastors to use the Bible both in preaching and in counseling, the counseling being the focus of what I'm doing, and then training other people for other individual ministries in the church and also in parachurch organizations like RUF just seemed important enough, kind of had a sense of being drafted where I was perfectly happy where I was, but I got this draft notice in the mail. It'd be really ancient for many people listening to this back when people used to get like called into the military against yeah. their will. Well, I felt like kind of against my desires, which were to stay here, this opportunity was of such significance that to be able to have over a period of years hundreds of future pastors to give them the basic training in using the Bible for the individual ministry of the Word. And part of my job is apologetic, convincing them is a big part of what I'm teaching. This is your job, and you need to equip others to do it with you. And I think on that front, uh, we're making progress. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. And and I'm thankful for seminaries like the Westminsters and RPTS and RTS and Masters and others, uh, in spite of minor differences on points of theology, the affirmation of the inerrancy of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, a desire to train men in the church to be both public and private ministers of the Word. So you know, that's where the Lord has put us, and we want to be faithful to that in this season of life. Yeah, Jim's a, is is really a historical anomaly and the kind of thing is that guys used to get DDs, you know, because they wrote a book that helped the church, and they'd say, "Okay, we want you to go to the seminary." I mean, that's you know, he's done it in the local church, and that ministry is borne out. That's why when CCF said go independent, you can't be under us anymore. Uh, we decided, okay, we're not going to charge for counseling. We'll do it as a ministry of the word, and we'll go into a local church, which is the model we had been preaching, and CCF still preaches that. It's always smiling. The CCF says, you know, <clears throat> return, you know, Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. Well, CCF's a parachurch organization. So I think that's why God has blessed, and, and uh, the call has come to someone, <clears throat> you know. And uh, I was the first one to say, uh, Jim, I think you ought to go to RTS because... That's a venue that we aren't influencing. RTS is a good seminary, but by and large, their counseling is not, you know, oriented toward biblical counseling. And for Charlotte to make that um, jump is, is is quite, it's quite impressive. And, and I think, you know, God's raised up Jim to be the man at that time. It's interesting in terms of the role I feel like I have in the seminary. 
you were describing in the past, you'd have people, they'd give them a DD and um, send them to the seminary that I feel like at the seminary, I'm among these world-class scholars with PhDs and THDs who are thinking on levels that I can kind of follow them, but I don't produce that type of material. And I'm the ordinary pastor on the faculty, now having been an ordinary pastor for 30 years or more. And that's something the seminary, I think, benefits from. Someone who actually prepared sermons every week for 30 years and someone who did ordinary pastoral ministry in the church as being not a sideline, but that was the focus of what I did. And I do feel very ordinary in terms of my own academic prowess. But I think in terms of being able to say, I've done what you guys want to do for the rest of your lives, and I can give you experience from that. It's going to be kind of simple compared to what you're learning in some of these other classes. But here's how it was for me. Here's what I've learned in terms of caring for sheep, both publicly through the ministry of the word and through the individual ministry of the word and counseling. Yeah. A lot of seminaries talk that way. Well, we want guys with pastoral experience, but by the time people invest in a PhD and you know, go to South Africa or England or whatever, <clears throat> they really want an academic position. And, and it really does color the, the education because everything ought to be taught for the sake of Christ's glory and the good of the local church. And that sometimes is mouthed, but isn't uh, always accomplished. And the way to do that is to get somebody who is actually contributing to the local church. And, and I'm thankful to God for people like I've known at Westminster, California, and at RTS, which are the two faculties I've known the best. I think it's a blessing to the church to have these people who are world-class scholars and who invest in doing hard things that I can't do and I can benefit from their scholarship. So, and, and I do believe those men have set an example in both places in being engaged in the church, but there's a difference between being a faithful churchman where they're preaching now and then, they're teaching a Sunday school class, they're serving on the elder board, and, and they're engaged in both places from what I can see, and I'm very thankful for that. I think they do set an example to the, congreg to the students of loving the church and being involved in the church, but there's still a difference between being the full-time academic with, who's very involved in church and church being everything, uh, which again, now that I'm the full-time academic with church being something extra, uh, I terribly miss the old life, which I still think is the ideal life of ministry. But I hope that what I'm doing will prepare men to be faithful in doing what is the most important thing, which is ministering in the church. When you think of ministry and I, Jim knows that I'm not very good at math, so Jim, you can probably come up with the answer to this, but we have nearly a hundred years of pastoral experience between the two of you and um, in my way off in that. No, you're probably <laughs> sadly closer to it. Yeah. Only I'm carrying more of the weight than he is on that deal. On the math end. If you're rounding up, you'll make it. There yeah. we go. Round to the nearest hundred and we got it. Um, but one of the things I think of is you have seen so many cases and while there's a ton of, of blessing with that, that the Lord gives us and encourages us to go on, there's also a lot of heartache. And you've seen a lot of people turn from the faith or difficult situations that don't work out well. And year after year after year of keeping on in that, what do you say to people involved in one another care? How can they keep going in the midst of the difficulties that you often encounter? Being here today is what helps me. So I've known George since 1987. 
And I've known other men for a long time, people I've known since college or high school. And I focus on those, like George has been faithful to Christ for all these years. He's opened his home to the hard cases. He's a teammate with his wife. He's gone wherever he could be most useful. And so you see the faithfulness of God working in some, in many, and even being face-to-face and seeing that and seeing his faithfulness in you and uh, having known you for many years now. And at a conference like this, and you run into others that, I mean, your heart is broken because there are people who have spoken to this conference before who are not here today because they are disqualified from ministry for life. There are people who have graduated from both RTS and Westminster who no longer would even be evangelical in their faith. And that does break your heart, and it should. But also, then it makes me appreciate all the more the faithfulness of God in giving perseverance to those who are truly His, in spite of many hardships, many much suffering, much discouragement. And that builds my faith, and that encourages me. Yeah. Well, two things, one positive and negative. Um, you know, I was complaining, as I often do, sinfully, and uh, someone was trying to get me fired and uh, stabbing me in the back. Um, and, and I thought, Scipione, you hot dog, why would you think you would get through your life without someone doing that? Look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was sinless. I'm not. You know, so one, you know, the Lord, uh, it, 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 we will enter the kingdom, the final phase of the kingdom through suffering. And that second one is kind of negative. There's no other alternative. <laughs> if I give up Jesus, what have I got? I got nothing. And so, uh, man, if, if I can only be found faithful, Paul says that, you know, if I finish my course, <clears throat> I've been faithful, <clears throat> you know, then what more can I say? It's all of grace anyway. But, you know, just keeping your eye on the fact that, uh, you know, if I'm the only one left, it's God's grace, not because of me. But I don't have any other alternatives. Yeah. John 6, where else shall we go? Yeah. You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go but serving Christ, even though there are times when it's very discouraging. Yeah. And there's times our own weakness is discouraging, where there's other others who do so much better than I'm doing. I'm not sure I'm capable of what I'm being called to, or discouragement with... You know, I also have had the experience of some people who are not supportive of what I'm doing and wish I would go away. Uh, thankfully, not my bosses. But uh, it's reading sometimes what people will say about you. It can be devastating, but God sustains us. And back to the question, where else can we go? He has the words of life. There is nowhere else to go. And he has been faithful to us, and we're thankful to God for that. Well, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us and it's it's encouraging to see how the Lord has built his church that you see faithful who are going before and younger who are being raised up and then we get a, a snippet of that as we come together at the conference and get to uh, we've been thinking this weekend why do people come to the conference instead of just downloading audios and I think you're hitting on some of that as you get to rub shoulders and see face to face people who are faithfully seeking to stand with you as we pour out our lives. Well, thanks so much. It was great to be with you. I know we have other things we need to be doing, um, but it was great to get to spend some time just talking together. Thanks for having us.
And finally, for our listeners, I just wanted to mention that by the time these episodes are airing, all of the audios from the conference will be available for free on our website, the pre-conference, workshops, everything, and videos from the general sessions as well, all available at ibcd.org. That's ibcd.org.